Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. I got word this week that our Stitcher feed's been being weird, so if you're a Stitcher subscriber, I apologize. We're working on that. That should be back up ASAP, but you can subscribe in some other places as well. You can always just stream it from BurnOrangeNation.com as well. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook, Longhorn Republic on Facebook, and we are Longhorn Pod on Twitter. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who was snubbed for Big 12 preseason honors, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? You know what? The Big 12, you're not my god or my father or my boss, uh, as as the bagel boss would say. Um, no, uh, I can't believe this podcast. They need a podcasting section, and then I'm sure we would get in the others receiving votes at least. At the very, very least, I think I think we we would compete. We we may not be number one, but we definitely get a couple of first place votes for sure. Yeah, we're we're in the we're in the top one hundred Longhorn related, specifically looking at tennis, um, and punting and kicking and women's sports podcasts on the internet. Yeah, we're all of those the Venn diagram crossover. We're number one. We're all those those circles crossover. Uh, no, That's so it's right. uh, more serious news. So the Big Twelve uh, preseason awards came out this week. Uh, Texas got some honors, but it was a little uh, there were some other conversations that we could probably have about that. Uh, so first off, Texas was picked to finish second, or at least pick second in the preseason poll um, behind the Oklahoma Sooners. OU got 68 first place votes. Texas got nine, which is still, uh, that's still a pretty big deal. Uh, So the order of the top, you know, the top five was Oklahoma, Texas, Iowa State, TCU, which we'll hear some more about today, and Oklahoma State rounding out the top five. Uh, Sam Ellinger was voted to be the offensive preseason player of the year. Uh, uh, Zach Shackelford, Cameron Dicker, and Caden Stearns all also received preseason honors. Uh, so, Kyle, there there were some names that I didn't mention that were probably, or at least could have been, or maybe should have been on that list. So who do you think is the biggest snub of that group? You know, when you look at a list of 
these are the Longhorns that made it. There's a couple names that you expect to see that you don't. And so the first one I think that, that jumps off the page at both of us, uh, or at least at me, I would I would imagine you as well, is Colin Johnson. Um, it, that may, however, be the most justifiable of the, the three snubs that I have. Uh, just because, I mean, you look at the Big 12 receiving talent. Uh, Colin Johnson, I think, has just as, as big a right as any of the guys. But the guys who are there above him, we're going to talk a little bit later about Jalen Rager, who's you know obviously unbelievable. Um, you have uh, Oklahoma's uh, CeeDee Lamb, who, you know, very electric, probably would have made the first team last year had it not been for his teammate. And then finally, Tylen Wallace, who may have been the one of the best receivers in the country about four games. of the, He may have been the best receiver in the country for about four games of the season last year, better than any other player. So if he can make one that. One of those against Texas. He, absolutely. That's why it stands out. So, I mean, again, it's we, we, we talk to all of these in our preview podcast to these teams, and, and we know these guys, um, their names and, and – uh, but Colin Johnson should be up there. The same fear that teams have when they think about Jalen Rager or they think about Tylen Wallace, they should certainly think about uh, Kojo. I think um, at the end of the year, he might have something to say about it. And especially uh, without little Jordan Humphrey, if he can, you know, absorb half of his numbers and maintain uh, 100% of his own numbers from last year, then I think uh, we'll be talking about bigger than just big 12 teams, but you're looking at first round talent. Um, So, I mean, receiver jumps off there. Uh, the other one, the biggest one, uh, I think for me is Sam Cosme. I, I would have liked to see Sam get a little little shine. I think um, because he had such a stellar year, but doesn't have a history of it. And there's some good linemen across the the conference. I get that, but Cosme's a guy I was a little surprised not to see. What about you? I think the biggest one for me that was, I mean, I see people, why people knock him, and you don't want to have Texas to have both of the safeties. But uh, Brandon Jones is another guy that I think could have and potentially should have been on the list. Again, there are a lot of good defensive backs in the Big 12 because that's what the Big 12 does. But on on a lot of games, Caden Stearns and Brandon Jones are pretty neck and neck as far as performance. Caden Stearns was probably the more flashy guy, but I think there could have been uh, some other things that that could have contributed to that. And again, I think those three guys that you mentioned I think are probably the, the biggest candidates for me and I think you mentioned Colin Johnson and how teams respect him like it boggles my mind that people can't make the cognitive connection between when they bracketed Colin Johnson little Jordan Humphrey went off and when you bracketed little Jordan Humphrey Colin Johnson went off like people yep. are still missing that and Colin Johnson missed like a game and a half due to injury and was knocking on the door of a thousand yards like if he doesn't miss a game and and a couple and a, basically a quarter, he doesn't he he hits a thousand yards and the conversation around him is completely different and the conversation around Colin Johnson is so weird. Somebody was asking about what his legacy was going to be. Dude is already with another season to go of probably a thousand yards, one of the most productive receivers in school history. It's just absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, and I mean, if you add in his uh, received pass interference yardage, he's clearly over a thousand just from the OU game um, alone. So I mean, it's it, like I said, he he has uh, he has hopefully a very healthy season in, in 12, 13, 14 games to uh, to go off and and shut everyone up about this legacy question. Just go ahead and Kojo put up like fifteen hundred and just make it easy for folks. I think they. Should so to follow up on some stuff on something from last week, we had a um, we had our friend Joe Hamilton on to talk a little bit of recruiting, and he predicted correctly that uh, four star linebacker from Highland Park, Prince Dorba, 
would be joining the Texas Longhorns. Uh, so he made his commitment uh, public a, a couple hours after the podcast came out. So it was almost immediately dated, but that's fine. So Dorba <laughs> becomes, um, I believe it's just the eighth player to commit to the 2020 class. Uh, we'll have a deeper conversation about what's going on with 2020 probably later, but yet another Dallas to Austin guy, Kyle, there was a lot of conversation heading into this class that Texas could not recruit Dallas. And now Texas has two and possibly a third um, with another commitment coming of the top players in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. So is that pendulum starting to shift the other way? Oh yeah. I think, I think uh, coach samples is, is doing a great job. And I mean, you're, you're pulling players from specific high schools where some of the most talent is that's, you know, you get those pipelines set up. That's very, very, uh, very effective way to recruit. But I think, yeah, I think as Dallas becomes the, you know, the pendulum, like you said, swings in many ways as, as it swings right now from Houston being the epicenter of high school football um, to potentially Dallas having a year where they're more talented. But either way, you have consecutive years with a lot of in-state talent. You see Texas recruiting accordingly. I mean, I, I'll just put uh, a quick note that, you know, I, we've gotten a lot of uh, flutter in, in the online sphere and in our mentions about the fact that, you know, it's a great pickup, but it's, you know, we're, we're only getting really, really good players, but not the the... Uh, it's quality, not quantity, which is fine. I prefer that, but we're still only at this this uh, point two off of where we were the past two seasons, which again were top three recruiting classes. We were at ten recruits at this point, so it's not as though this is abnormal for a Tom Herman recruiting strategy. Clearly, so uh, Dorba is exactly the type of player we need. He's talented. He's going to slot right in um, and and kind of contribute and be um, a player to help fill positions of need going forward. Just a, uh, an incredible player um, and in a uh, fantastic addition to the class. Yeah, and I think you mentioned kind of my biggest talking point around this uh, is that Texas is getting top-tier talent at positions of need. Mm-hmm. I don't think this class is going to be as long as the last two classes because Texas has done so well. I think you may end up looking at three or four fewer guys in the class, but if you look at the average star rating, Texas is third in the nation in average star rating with like a 93.56, which is absolutely incredible they're averaging a high four star which is just great uh and i think some of those numbers are going to jump up uh, when they do their final uh burn orange media conspiracy adjustments to those stars Uh, i think that's going to be a big thing for texas and i think the other thing is the positions of need man like Texas doesn't need a ton at wide receiver. I, we mentioned it last week. They'll probably only take one receiver in this class. They'll probably maybe take two or three defensive backs in this class. They've got three of the top four linemen in the state of Texas mm-hmm. with one more that may is probably trending pretty heavy in the burn orange direction. So like that's a position of need. And so I think fans are freaking out because the, the, the overall recruiting ranking is 30 something, but Texas is getting what it needs where it needs, and that to me is more important than the number that the class ranks. And and they get the players they want in the state of Texas, and when they go outside of the state, it's for truly elite game-changing talent, um, which you know, you're know you seeing some of the other schools in Texas that are a bit um, pounding their own chest about the number of recruits, whatever. I mean, the Aggies are going out and picking three stars out of New Jersey. You know, like uh, it, 
that's fine. That is a strategy. Um, I, I will take Gatorade Player of the Year, five star receivers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, when we go out of state and and you know when the talent lines up in state with our positions of need, we'll clean up on some of those. Now that's not to say this has been a perfect class and there haven't been misses. We've talked about some of that, um, but I, I think it's probably somewhere between the utopia um, that we could sit here and paint and the you know absolute worst case scenario that that has been. Um, you know, fluttering around both within the burn orange uh, world and also especially outside of it looking in. And you mentioned some some misses. Texas is still struggling uh, at the running back position. We're going to have Joe Hamilton back on here in a couple of weeks uh, to, to unpack that specific role and why why is Texas struggling so mightily at running back uh, and, and how much of an indictment is this to Stan Drayton and his recruiting group. Uh, briefly, Texas also picked up another 2021 guy. So Texas now has three guys committed for the 2021 class. Uh, Lake McCree, three-star tight end from Lake Travis, Hudson Cards, one of his favorite targets in that offense. Uh, I heard Lake McCree described as Jeff Swain with better hands. And I was immediately in. Like, there's no other descriptor that I need for a tight end than Jeff Swain with better hands. Oh, there's no better name also for a tight end than Lake McCree. Come on, that guy sounds like... If, I mean, it's like getting a kid from Louisiana named Lash LaRue. I mean, the guy is from the uh, the lake, the, the rich lake region of Austin, and his name's Lake McCree. Come on, I'm loving it. This guy's already ready to be a, be a four-year, you know, contributor and, and, you know, David Thomas Light. So, loving it. Walking around with a six shooter slapping against his thigh, about <laughs> to start a pistol fight at the saloon. I love it. Okay. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. So we are 46 days out from the season, which is just absolutely insane. Uh, we are continuing through our season preview. We've got one of our favorite guests to have on, Melissa Trebowasser of the Frogs of War to preview the TCU Horn Frogs Wars. Melissa, how are you doing today? I am doing great. You know, just so full of energy and joy since you guys keep complimenting me and telling me how much fun I am. So it makes me feel good about myself. Probably better than I feel about TCU's quarterback situation, but we'll get to that. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, it's, it's, we'll, we'll go very easy on you. We're known for just, you know, we're nice guys. We, we won't, we won't pull any tricks. Well, and look, no one's asking about that. No one's curious about the quarterback situation. <laughs> so I don't think people are really interested in what's going on no, there. Not at all. Not, not at, all. at all. So let's, I mean, you, you queued it up perfectly. Uh, I always talk about in in-person trainings I do, like there's a Segway monster and you're the Segway monster right now. So yeah, I'm a <laughs> I love it. So the question is quarterback at TCU, right? That was a, um, a, a, position that got hit by some injuries last year, which kind of was one of the injuries was one of the big stories for 2018 for TCU overall. Now they've lost a quarterback to transfer that was injured, but they also, it was kind of a transfer trade situation. Alex Delton uh, came in from Kansas state following Bill Snyder's retirement. Uh, TCU didn't have a spring game because of those same depth issues. Uh, they did the whole open practice deal. So who's going to be the guy for TCU? Is it Delton? Is it one of the other seven, eight, nine guys that are in that quarterback room now? Well, you know what they say? They say, if you don't have, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have any. And so instead of trying to go with two, we're going to throw five 
at the uh, <laughs> at the starting lineup and see what happens. Um, it's it's interesting because TCU has some some very good options, none of which are going to excite fans except for the guy that might not be ready to play in year one. Um, Delton is is a guy that can come out and do what you ask him to do. And Gary Patterson has spoken glowingly of him uh, since he arrived on campus, which probably means he's terrible, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're more than willing to give him a shot. Um, I fully expect him to be the guy that takes the first snap, snap behind center for, for TC on August 31st. Um, if the frogs are going to meet their very high uh, internally high expectations, he's probably not the guy still starting games in November. Um, that is going to be an interesting query. Does Matthew Baldwin get cleared the transfer from Ohio state? He's probably the guy that gives TCU the best chance to win right away. Um, we have no idea what the NCAA uh, transfer waiver rules are anymore mm. because it seems right. to be working really, really well if you're a blue blood program and a little bit less well if you're not. And so we don't know what, what his status will be uh, come the start of fall camp. Uh, the other guy that's interesting is, of course, Justin Rogers, um, who is an otherworldly talent or was until the second game of his high school senior season when he blew out his knee and just in just an unhorribly awful, awful way. Um, and he will tell you that he is a hundred percent. His mom and his brother will tell you that he is a hundred percent. And Gary will say, we're not quite sure where he's going to uh -huh. be uh, when camp opens on August 2nd. And so he came in um, in the cheese it bowl, took three snaps, had a 250 pound linebacker literally bounce off of him while standing still. So we know the strength is there, but to right. be effective in Sonny Cumbie's offense, he's got to be able to move a little bit. And that's what we're not sure of with the whole drop foot issue. If he's not ready to go at hundred percent this year and they can keep him in the fold, we saw Jalen Smith recover from a similar injury, um, the Notre Dame linebacker who's now tearing it up for the Cowboys, but it took him two years of being able to play. I don't know that TC is in a position to wait another year with a less than 100% Justin Rogers, which leaves us with two other guys, um, Michael Collins, who himself is coming off of a season-ending injury a season ago um, that he, I think, was the fourth to last game. Um, he's steady, if uninspiring, maybe a little bit more physically gifted than Delton as a thrower of the football, but probably uh, not, not quite as uh, football savvy at this point in his young career. And of course, the one that, that I think most TCU fans would tell you if Rodgers isn't healthy and Baldwin isn't uh, eligible is Max Duggan, the four-star mm -hmm. recruit uh, out of Iowa who is just, and I know it's because he's a redhead, but it's impossible not to look at him <laughs> and not think Andy Dalton. Uh, the kid is poised. He's he's professional. He says all the right things. He does all the right things. He's a hard worker. He throws a brilliant ball. I mean, he's he's got some real smoke coming out of that. But in a perfect situation, you're not starting a true freshman QB when you have one of the best players in the country and probably his last season at wide receiver. So um, I think Delton is the first guy. I think he plays a quarter. I think we see Michael Collins against Arkansas Pine Bluff. I think we see probably Max Duggan against Arkansas Pine Bluff with the four-game four rule, and hopefully we see Justin Rogers as well. Uh, and then I think it's a literally a series-by-series -series situation until we get to the SMU, our third game of the season, when hopefully one guy has established himself as, as the clear dude. So... Uh, yeah, that's a lot of information and absolutely no answer whatsoever. So you're welcome. I love it. That was a wonderful, wonderful job of doing that. As, as Longhorn fans, we certainly know the, the idea of, of multiple quarterbacks and how fun that can be. So the exponents you add in there can only make it exponentially uh, more fun. Can I just throw my hat in the ring? I'm most excited. Yes, Max Duggan reminds me of Andy Dalton, but he also, because he sounds like a late 90s, early two, or maybe even late 80s, early 90s action star, he reminds me of another TCU great in tank carter um 
just because he's so wonderfully named. Um, but uh, but yeah, I'm I'm all in on the the Max Duggan train just because you know that's that sounds like a Duke Nukem knockoff, and I'm I'm all here for it. <laughs> the coach's kid, he's got great family. Great, like his parents have adopted like a million children. Like they're just this lovely, wholesome group of people that you just like can't help but root for. And I think he's going to be a really good quarterback. Um, now in this era of this transferring free agency in college football, I think TCU fans almost, if Rodgers isn't ready to go, would almost rather him start from day one rather than yeah. risk losing him in a year or two. For sure. Which is just horrible. But I also think he's a kid that he's ready to stay and fight for as long as he needs to to try to get some PT. But we'll see how that goes. It's a different world now. Yeah, it is. It's an interesting wrinkle. One area that we know is not uh, as, as much up in the air, probably has some less question marks, more even exclamation points. Um, both the uh, are in the run game, both the running backs and the offensive line return a ton of talent, four or five from probably Big 12s, I think, uh, maybe top two offensive line last year, if not the best, um, including Lucas Niang, who is just awesome. Um, and then bring in both your, your leading rushers back. Um, do you think that this becomes maybe a, a clock control, run the ball, pounded in, uh, run heavy offense, or do we still see, we still see some, some wrinkles with whoever the quarterback is? I think that I would like to see a lot of tight end on the field, two back sets, you know, ball control. I don't know that that's what TC is built to run. Um, that's kind of mm. what they, they fell into last year. What we're hearing rumors of is a modified veer and kind of the old uh, Bryle style of offense, mm-hmm. um, which the Frogs certainly have the personnel for if they establish one quarterback that can consist at least consistently enough make the deep throw. And that's what the Frogs have not had since Trayvon Boykin and Josh Jackson left the program is that guy that can get the ball up in the air and close enough to the right spot to give your wide receiver a chance. Because Rager is um, probably the most underrated player in the Big 12 on either side of the ball and and probably the guy that more people should be talking about nationally Mm -hmm. that just aren't. And if there is even something resembling consistent quarterback play, dude's an All-American. I mean, I know how good there are wide receivers all over this, but but if but if you think about putting him with with just the same quarterback all season long, he might have fifteen hundred yards, and that's just a ridiculous number to put up. So, um, I I think we'll see hopefully more running of the ball because you have Darius Anderson, you know, Shea Olonu. Oh God, it's been a while since I'd say his name. I have to practice this a little bit. Oloni Lua (laughs) is uh, a little bit of a question mark because of his arrest in May. from what we're hearing is, is hopefully that they're able to come to an agreement. It, he's not drugs are awful and drugs are bad. And don't do drugs kids. But um, this was not the type of thing that should cost him the rest of his career for a kid. Who's been otherwise completely um, just a great person on and off the field. He just made a really, really dumb mistake. Um, that's me stumping for him, but uh, <laughs> cause I really like the kid, but um, you know, you've got the talent back there. You've got two true freshman running backs um, and Demarcus Foster and uh, Darwin Barlow, who look like day one ready to to contribute guys if you need them to. And so it makes all the sense in the world to say we're going to run the ball 40 to 45 times a game and try to throw it 25. But this is the Big 12, and even with TCU's defense being as good as it is, yeah. can't you have to find a way to stay on the field to score points. And I don't know that Sonny Cumbie is ready to make that type of change at the way that he calls plays next year, although we do know that Gary Patterson has made it clear he's going to be more involved in the play calling, at least the uh, the theory of what the play calling will look like this fall. 
it's interesting to to not know what this offense is going to look like because you, you've been able to really set right. your clock to, to what TCU is going to be able to do year in and year out. And so this is uh, unfamiliar territory to anybody who's followed uh, Big 12 football for the last, what, 10 years since TCU has been in the conference. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was, I was kind of reflecting and writing some pieces for frogs of war where I was looking back over the last couple of years and, and right around the turn, um, you know, in 2012 when the frogs joined the big 12 and in 2014 and, and what was different about that offense, what made it everything work. And the TC was really good under Trayvon Boykin. They were elite offensively on the national stage. Uh, they were still pretty dang good with Kenny Hill at the helm. But compared to the fireworks that we saw in 2014 and 2015, it was disappointing. And then you go to whatever last year was. Um, Sean Robinson, I'm not going to speak ill of the kid, but but was was not the right fit in that offense and had the turnover issues. And and I know you tried to be nice, Kyle, about our offensive line, but it was just downright terrible last year. And that's not necessarily due to, to the kids lining up, but the, the injury situation. I think there was yeah. only one game that all five of the projected starters actually started and you lost kind of other than Yang, who played the entire the entire season. You lost the guys that were the heart and soul and kind of the leaders of that unit. So um, that's not necessarily Sean's fault. Um, and and you know I, I wish him nothing but the best at Mizzou, but also that him trying to trash TC on the way out, you know, did not do him a lot of favors around here. But sure. yeah, um, but but I think that that if you get a not a game manager, but if you get somebody who can make a better decision on when to run versus when to throw, if you can ride an offense that can get the ball into Jalen Rager's hands in a multitude of ways, which we saw come be due from about the Baylor game on last year, you can win a lot of games in this league, especially with the defense TCU will have. Uh, the key is going to be how much of that uh, play calling ego becomes an issue. How much does Gary Patterson say, I need to keep my defense off the field a little bit more um, that we, you know, we can't be playing, you know, we can't be going three and out all of the time. Um, our Parker Fleming, who does stats for frogs for us, just did a very, very sad uh, second down offense series. And TCU's conversion rate on first down was, was so bad. And then their second down conversion rate was like less than 30% successful. Um, so yeah. Right. So something has to change here. Um, I don't know what it's going to look like, which, like you said, is is kind of uncharted territory for us since since 2014. But I do know that uh, Patterson has shown time and time again he can find ways to adjust and make things work. And you would have to think that Cumbie at this point, who probably wants to be a head coach, is coaching for his future. And if he can get mm-hmm. TCU back and just to the upper middle of the pack in the Big 12 offensively, he can really remake his resume and go back to being one of the hottest names in, in coordinators uh, in the country as opposed to you know, kind of being persona non grata right now. As, As Texas, Texas fans, it was interesting because we so badly coveted him for a few years. Um, so, uh, so not not that well, you know, we we not that we ever had any Schrodinger ever, and we we definitely did not root against Florida during the Muschamp years or anything. But uh, but yeah, so uh, we're talking about Sonny Cumbie, and, and you know, and we are you know, you mentioned Patterson's going to be a little more involved with the offense and in, in there, but uh, he's going to get the ball spread it out. I mean, TCU is going to have other receivers beside Jalen Rager on paper. It looks like that's probably Tay Barber. So if Rager's, you know, getting double covered, how, how good can he be? And are there any other receivers who, who you're watching closely? Segway monster makes a reappearance. All right. Well done. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think the key to this offense uh, definitely is who's the second receiver that steps up. The names are there. The talent is there. Uh, the size is there. The speed, everything is there. Nobody has done anything outside of Jalen Rager on this offense to speak of. Uh, Tay Barber 
certainly looks like the guy, sounds like the guy going into camp. Uh, he's a beast. This kid is is you know no more than maybe five nine, five nine and a half, and and he is just has take, takes no prisoners, has no fear, um, willing to sacrifice his body, and, and just has that that hunger that makes him your perfect slot receiver in this conference. Um, but for him to be successful, you've got to create some spacing, right? And so Rager is going to draw a double team every time. You know, Barber is going to get to the middle of the field, but who's going to be the other guy on the outside that steps up? outside of Barber and, and really makes makes defenses make choices. And so your early candidates for that are, are Trevante Heights, a, a senior who's been in the program, who's been around for a long time. He's listed as the, the starter at the X position going into the fall camp, um, probably because he's the senior. And the, the two guys behind him really haven't done a whole heck of a lot. But um, he's I think he, he caught four passes or something last year. The talent, he's a big dude, six foot three. Um, he's got good speed. He's got decent hands. He just doesn't have a track record of having done a whole heck of a lot. And so I think he gets the nod just from experience um, behind him. And this is really where the, this battle is going to be come down to is John Stevens Jr. Travalence Hunt. Both of those guys are in their second year on campus. Um, Stevens Jr. is 6'5". Hunt is 6'3". Hunt was a four-star kid who really came out of nowhere his senior season to become an, an Under Armour All-American. The dude looks the part. Like, he just, everything about him screams this guy could be a number one someday. But he just hasn't been able to translate that to success on the field. Now, just a true freshman last year, not writing him off by any stretch of the imagination. But one of those two kids in their second season is going to have to step up. Um, they don't have to be great. Rager's great. That's going to open up a lot of opportunities for either one of them. But one of them has to be good enough to make defenses pay for trying to double Jalen Rager and trying to cheat someone down towards Tay Barber. If they can do that, then, you know, one of those guys can catch even just 50 or 60 passes over the course of the season. Then TC's probably had a pretty darn good year offensively. Um, and that combined with, with what should be a good running game, the opportunity is there to be good enough to make TCU's offense be good enough to win a lot of games. Because the Big 12 is so wide open and there's so much, you know, there's coaching changes there. You know, teams that haven't had quarterback questions for a decade having quarterback questions. There are so many other things that are going on that TCU could, if they can get it clicking, uh, especially offensively, they could jump up in the top three teams of the, of the conference based upon just how wide open it is. And I think on the other side of the ball, I think the, the defense is going to have a lot to say about that because TCU's kind of ridden its defense and that's been its bell cow in the Big 12 for a long time. Um you know, they're returning uh, all-conference player Corey Bethley, um, but they replaced the other three guys along the front, if my research, uh, including uh, Ben Bangu, who, let's just be honest, that guy was a monster. Um, mm -hmm. So what does a Gary Patterson defense look like with a front four that's big and talented but not necessarily experienced? A person affiliated with TCU football, as we were walking off the Cheez-It Bowl field uh, together at the end of that, wonderful lovely wonderful. bowl game that will forever wonderful. live in infamy She's yeah lit. it's honestly one of the greatest one of the greatest <laughs> things i've ever been a part of like i'm just so happy i went there um so and that's all that's very serious um he kind of leaned over to me and you know and i kind of said something about man losing collier and, and banagy that's got to hurt and he said we're eight deep and more talented than we've ever been and so, so while, while expectations are, are very, very high within the program, I think from outside, everyone looks and says, who the heck are these guys? Mm -hmm. um, the Frogs were able to seamlessly re replace, 
you know, two all Big 12 defensive ends from 2017 and 2018. The odds of them being able to do that again are very, very low. Uh, but by the same token, uh, there, there are some really exciting players. And if you assume that Blacklock comes back to um, to who he was before the injury, which by all – that dude just looks like he is ready to start eating people. So I'm super pumped. Um, and, and Beth Lee just really came into his own, kind of having, having the stage to himself in the middle last year. And so if you put those two guys in the middle, it's really hard to not be at least effective at the defensive end position as long as they're relatively talented guys. Uh, O'Shawn Mathis is, is slotted to start at left end. The kid is is just in his second year on campus, and it was everything they could – they had to fight to keep him redshirted last year. Like, they wanted to play him so bad. He was so impressive on the field and in the practice fields. And so they held him back for his own good. And, I mean, why why burn a redshirt on a guy when he's playing behind Collier and Banigou, right? Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But he is ready for a breakout season. He He's six foot five. He's 235 pounds. He's fast. He's nasty. Uh, he's a hard, hard worker, and just by all accounts, that, that he has the potential to be a star. Is that going to happen in 2019? Probably not, but but the, the ability is certainly there. Um, on the other side of him, it looks like Shamik Blackshear, the, the transfer from the University of uh, South Carolina, is, is going to start at that role. Um, he's a guy who, who you know was a huge, hugely regarded recruit coming out of high school, uh, got shot his freshman year at other USFC or whatever they're calling themselves, um, had some issues off the field, but seems to have kind of gotten gotten things together. And I think playing in a, in a program like TCU is it's, it's very discipline heavy. And for a coach like Gary Patterson, who will not let his defenders get away with anything, could give him a chance to kind of have one last shot to make a name for himself. Dude has all the talent in the world. And he's coming with the right attitude. He's working his tail off. And so it, he looks like he could bring some veteran experience. Behind them, though, there's just a lot of youth. Uh, Parker Workman is a JUCO uh a guy who reminds a lot of people of Matt Boson, mostly because he's got long blonde hair, but whatever. Um, he also has a really cool tat of his name across his forearm, and you cannot tattoo your last name across your forearm unless you're pretty good, in my opinion. So hopefully <laughs> hopefully he lives up to that. Um, and then Adam Plant Jr. is a really, really interesting kid. Um, he's, he was a class of 2018 that reclassified into 2019 because he went to a, a – prep school for a year and so technically he counts against the 2018 recruit I don't know it's very confusing um but his dad was Floyd Mayweather's bodyguard so you <laughs> so you assume he's got some physicality <laughs> and he's got some good genetics so he's on, he's on the money team regardless he's yeah on the money team yeah so maybe Floyd's a TCU fan I don't know how I feel about that probably not very good um but, but so, so the potential is there um, to at least be steady along the defensive line. Gary Patterson's defense is, is not built on out-talenting guys. It's about out-reacting offenses. And to be able to be really, really good in the front four, the four two five, you have to anticipate and react. And so that requires really understanding this defense on a deeply spiritual level. And the question is, can these guys who have only been in this program for a year or less get there quickly enough to be impactful, especially when you look at um, a lot of the youth and inexperience behind them as well. Well, and, and, and I, I look at a TCU team and I play defensive back my whole life. And I think you can't really, Texas has a similar thing. Your safeties kind of drive how good a defense can be. Your cornerbacks need to be um, spot on if you're, you know, you're, you're isolating them a little bit. Um, we know Jeff Gladney emerged as, as, you know, one of the best cornerbacks in the conference uh at least but he's he's going to need some some help there who do we see um you know i i like ennis Gaines. i always love his name but who do you see in that in that secondary stepping up and and making themselves a uh, a prospect for the for the next level this year Gaines is the guy i mean you absolutely nailed it uh he is a difference maker when he's healthy if you look at what tc's defense looked like before he got hurt versus what it looked like after not just from again just the ability to stop people but he's the quarterback back there he's the leader he's the guy that's putting people 
people in the right spots. He's a super, super heavy player on the field. Him and Gary have a great relationship. They understand each other. Like Gaines can anticipate what he's going to need to do before Patterson yells at him. And then Patterson yells at him anyways. And Gaines is the emotional leader of the team, yells right back. And they're just hilarious to watch on the sidelines. It's it's really kind of adorable. Um, but but he's the guy that makes everything tick. Uh, he, he plays with a fire. He plays with an attitude. Uh, he, he's the emotional leader of that team in a really, really positive way. He's, I think he's a guy who can step up and be what's really been lacking from the Horn Frogs last two years. And be, that's that strong locker room leader, that guy who just makes everyone better, not just by his play on the field, but by refusing to allow them to be less than their best. And he is that dude for sure. Um, but, you know, I think Julius Lewis is really underappreciated as well. Part of that's because so many people um, threw away from Gladney, and so so Lewis got tested a lot more. But he's a kid that, that's had to fight back from a lot of injuries himself and was really solid. He wasn't spectacular. He's not going to get a ton of interceptions. He's not going to make a ton of big plays, but he's also not going to give up a whole lot of big plays either. So as long as he's good, um, the safety situation next to, uh, to, to Gaines is interesting. Trayvon Morig played as a true freshman because he had to, because there was literally nobody else and was shockingly like ready to go. Uh, he was great. So he's slated to, uh, to start alongside Gaines as well. And then Vernon Scott's a guy who's just been really, really steadily, steady the, the last couple of seasons. You know, he, he had to work to get his opportunity. And once he did, he performed um, admirably at the position. Also got hurt last year because if you were a safety or cornerback at TC or really anybody that played football, you probably missed four games from injury. But um, Scott Scott looks the part, too, to, to just be a steadying presence. Behind him, you have some interesting talent. You've got our Darius Washington who's young and he's small and he's nasty as hell and he just wants to fight everybody. Uh, that's a fun guy to have. Uh, Nook Bradford is, a, is another prep school kid who came over who's a little bit more experienced. That can, they can get some uh, get some reps as well. Atanza Vonger, a lot of people forgot about, was a four-star recruit that was a, had the potential to start as a true freshman and you know blew his knee out before during fall camp and, and never played a snap. So he comes back healthy. And then Noah Daniels is another guy who I think he got hurt on special teams in the first game of the year. Uh, he can play cornerback or safety and, and can certainly be an impact player at either position. So there's a lot of depth. There's not a lot of experience outside of Gladney and Lewis, um, but with Gaines back in the fold, I think we feel a lot better about what that secondary will look like next season. Kind of in the in that four two five, um, for you know Texas runs a similar you know three three five stack situation. You, the safeties drive it, and then the linebackers drive it. And TCU lost. I think the number that we did the math on was was more than four hundred tackles. Uh, with with Ty Summer and and Erico Evans, um, you know, going their separate ways, which is just an astounding number. First off, like that's just ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, what do we? Who do we expect to be able to carry the water for TCU in that spot? Because that like the middle of that defense again. Texas fans saw it this last year when it struggles. The team struggles. So mm-hmm. what? It struggles. Bad. Yeah. What is who's who's going to be who are going to be the guys for TCU at those spots? Yeah, I mean Summers was just such a smart player. Um, you know, athletically, like I think he gets undersold for how how good of an athlete he was, and he showed that at the NFL Combine, and that's why he ended up with the Green Bay Packers and is, is going to make that 53 man roster despite being drafted in the seventh round. Mariko um, Evans was a guy who who played on and off significantly. He got his shot last year because injuries and made the most of it. Juwan Johnson is another guy who stepped up really big as injuries happen. You know, he's gone, has graduated as well. Um, which brings us back to the guy who's supposed to be the next great linebacker at TCU, 
and that's Garrett Wallow. Uh, Wallow ended up moving back to his high school position of safety last year because of all of the injuries in the defensive backfield. Um, but he is a super, super talented kid. Um, he He's hilarious. Like, if you ever listen to one of his in- interviews, this dude could not be more Cajun. Uh, you cannot understand a word that comes out of his mouth. It's it's just great. Like I have to have like a Garrett Wallow interpreter just to, to, to try to get that that Louisiana accent. It's it's tough, but um, he's great. Super super hard worker. Super humble kid. Um, you know he's got the size. It's six foot two, six foot three. He's got the strength. Uh, he's very reactionary. Um, he reminds me a little bit of Jason Phillips, who uh, was was kind of that like shot out of the cannon linebacker that played for Patterson uh, towards the end of the Mountain West years. Uh, and and there's a very famous picture of him with like just blood streaming down his nose on the field, like refusing to leave and, and get cleaned up. And and that's kind of what Wallow is. And Patterson said of him last year when he was slated to start at linebacker that he's one of those rare kids that you have to like turn him down. He just mm. gets so fired up and he's so aggressive that sometimes he wants to go make the big hit as opposed to making the right play. And I think moving back to safety actually helped him with that and probably got him to to be a little bit more patient making his reads as opposed to just diving as hard as he could at the first guy. And he probably became a better tackler too because of that. So um, he he should be a star. Like he he's got the tools. When he played linebacker last year, he was great. Um, that's the guy that's going to be kind of the linchpin of what happens there in the middle of the field. Uh, next to him is, is going to be Montrell Wilson, who's a guy that everybody wants to see succeed. Uh, he has been hurt more than he's been healthy. Is a true freshman next to Traven Howard. He looked like the next big thing for TCU. And then he just dealt with injury after injury after injury uh, since then. And so as a senior in his last go-round, this is his last chance to get to play. Um, and, and he's he's earned this, the starting spot through the spring. And, and I think he'll keep it through the fall if he's healthy. Uh, he brings a studying presence and a guy who's been around the block, too. And he's, he's a really, really talented player. So I think people are hoping the best for him. Uh, ben Wilson was a, one of the top recruits in Washington that came out to TCU. Uh, played a lot as a true freshman on special teams, again, because he had to. Um, and, and they got some snaps at linebacker as well and, and looked pretty darn good. Um, you know, he's again, reminds people in any long-haired uh, – a blonde linebacker in the NFL, so Clay and, and that whole uh, Green Bay unit. But uh, he's 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 good. He's really really good. And then Demarion Holmes is is a guy who signed in May last year, like really late in the season. No one had ever heard of him. His offers were from like directional schools all over the state of Louisiana and Texas that no one had ever heard of either. Um, and he he was a, a perfect diamond in the rough kind of uh, Gary Patterson find. And so. Uh, the other thing that's happened here recently is that uh, Dylan Jordan, who is the Frogs, one of the Frogs' top recruits from the class of 2019, they didn't think he was going to make it to campus. He worked his butt off this summer in class, got eligible, will enroll in the fall after all. Mm. Um, he is a super, super talented kid who's who look, does not look like he's 18. Like the dude looks ready to play right now. So um, he, I don't know if he will be ready to go as a true freshman, but he at least gives you some depth at that position. So. Tons of questions, uh, guys that just have not done a lot of work on the field, but the talent is there. The question will be, can the IQ catch up quickly enough to do what they need to do with that great defense in front of them, that defensive line in front of them, and that super talented secondary behind them? Can they just be steady enough to not get ripped up the middle by the likes of Grant Calcaterra and, and you know, Sam Ellinger busting through the line and whoever else, Jalen Hurts, you know, the, all those guys who are going to be making plays and going to be able to take advantage of, of kids who just don't quite know what they're doing yet. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, watch this segue. Um, so the uh, the uh, inexperience is, is across the entire Big 12. You're seeing um, stars and great players, but there is a, a bit of a transition and a state of flux for uh, the kind of, 
amount of talent that they graduated or went to the the pros this year. So uh, that being said, with uh, Flux kind of in the, the middle and heart of the conference, what do you feel like uh, an appropriate ceiling and floor for for the the Horn Frogs is this season? You know it. It's, it's so hard to predict how good this team can be until we know who's playing quarterback and what that quarterback looks like in the system. Because other than a few snaps of Michael Collins, we have not seen any of these guys operate this offense. And we have no idea what they're capable of in doing so. So uh, I thought that the preseason uh, fourth place was was very accurate. I think that's a good place. I honestly probably thought it was a little more generous um, than, than the media generally is with the Horned Frogs. Um, but that's, I mean, that's where I slotted them. I thought they were a fourth place team going into the season. Uh, it, you can't not pick Oklahoma right now, right? Like until someone knocks off the king, they're still the king. Texas um, has has finally earned the hype. You know, like I think that they left people with a, a real positive taste in their mouth. Sam Ellinger is, a, is an obvious star um, and, a, and a guy who just finds ways to win. So those to me are your two clear top teams. The one that I think is most likely to sneak into the Big 12 title game as opposed to one of those two teams is Iowa State. Yeah. Um, Matt Campbell has that program on an upward trajectory. Brock Purdy is a really, really good quarterback. They lose a lot, but their defense is nasty. Like I think them and TCU will be fighting to be the top defense in the league this year. Um, so, so the question becomes, you know, what, what does Baylor do? Who's playing quarterback for Oklahoma state that four through six spot is where I'd be disappointed with anything less than fourth, but I think I could see TCU easily falling into that sixth spot. The key is do not fall behind Texas Tech. Do not fall behind Kansas State. Do not fall behind West Virginia. And please, God, do not lose to Kansas at home. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just not – like, I don't care that Les Miles is a, is a supposedly good football coach. Like, I'm still not over that last year. And I, if we don't lose to Kansas again in my lifetime, I'll feel okay with it. But um, it, the fourth through six is probably fair – that being said, would not surprise me at all if TCU gets the right quarterback, if they can go and win 10 games. Um, also would not surprise me if they went 6-6. Six and six. So, like, it, it's just that there's just so many questions around this team. To me, they look like an 8-win team that could mm-hmm. win 9 and with a couple of lucky breaks maybe, maybe get to 10. Uh, I think people should be happy with anything over 8, but it's hard when you, when you have a Jalen Rager and a guy that you know that if he's healthy is gone after this year and should be, yeah. right? Uh, you don't want to waste his last season. We have not won anything significant with him on the field. Like, he deserves to make his mark on this program, and I hope that he gets the opportunity to. It's one of those things where they've set themselves up for that high level of expectation, right? You could basically yeah, right? pencil him in for nine and a half wins every year. Like that's just what TCU does. And so uh, that's an interesting thing. So we're going to move on. We didn't prepare you for the next set of questions. We're going to do a little bit of rapid fire at the end. Um, We've been doing this every week, asking our guests, our esteemed guests to, to dig deep down in their, in their heart and find some nice things to say. So if I were to ask you to say something nice about your rivalry opponent, Baylor bears, what would you say about them? Uh, Matt Rule is as good of a human being as there is in college football, without a doubt. That is a legitimately good person, um, and I want him to be successful at his next stop. Uh, and Christoph <laughs> nice. Henley, their their starting tight end, was one of my students. So there you go. Well, there you go. That was heartfelt and genuine. I appreciate that. Yeah, don't ask me for more than that, please. That, I'm the <laughs> next. I'm going to be right back. I just need to go throw up just a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> my, uh, my, my wife is, is a Baylor bear. I think I've, I don't know if I told you that before, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I told her who I was, you, you know, it was with careful consideration. She's one of the good ones. She's, uh, she's pretty, 
she's pretty all right for sure um but yeah the, the feelings seem to be a bit a bit mutual so uh <laughs> no more sides but uh so this this is a question that i think you 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 intimated earlier that i think you have the right feeling um in right um you're in the right headspace to answer this question appropriately but if you had to pick one flavor of cheese it to describe your feelings about the upcoming season what flavor would you pick okay i'm gonna take this a little different direction okay. i'm gonna go classic because mm. as, as gerald mentioned that you kind of expect nine and a half wins to set the bar i would say eight and a half probably you're a little nicer than me but but i'm hoping for a classic gary patterson tcu bounce back year i like that that's that's a that's a nice answer i was kind of you know i wasn't sure if you were going to go something spicy or what but that's that's a good answer i don't <laughs> want spicy i feel like i had spicy last year i don't like not ever knowing what's going to happen I don't like having constant upset stomachs during football games. I just want something just easy with a little bit of crunch that I know consistently is going to be delightful. And I would like consistent, delightful football for TCU in 2019. And if you, That's if you don't pay close attention, you need a whole box. Like, I get it. I totally – Exactly. <laughs> hey, I still have that, that uh, Cheez-It Bowl box, that commemorative Cheez-It Bowl box they gave the media members uh, sitting in my pantry for the right occasion. So you just never know where you're going to have to bust that one out. It doesn't expire until, like, uh, 2047. So I feel really good <laughs> about things. Yeah. That, that should make you feel great. Uh, so <laughs> – I don't, what do I do? Uh, how do I follow that? Oh my gosh! Uh, so with Bill Snyder <laughs> retiring, uh, Gary Patterson becomes, I believe, the longest tenured Big Twelve coach. And um, one of the things that that Nike did for Bill Snyder, he loved the Cortez shoe. And so uh, when they kind of nixed the Cortez shoe to the chagrin of Gary Patterson and half the population of San Antonio, Texas, uh, they hooked him up with a backlog of Cortez shoes. And so um, if Gary Patterson had one product that Nike was going to give him a backlog for it, would it would it be a visor or a moisture wicking towel? Like which one would he? Go yeah, with? I was gonna. I was thinking sweat towel immediately, <laughs> like a hundred percent sweat towel. You know, I think as, as Gary gets a little older, and he's a grandpa now, as one of his kids just had twins, so you know he's he's aging a little bit here. But as he gets a little older, we may see him go more with the ball cap than the than the visor. It gets a little thin mm. on top. So mm. uh, <laughs> don't tell him I said that. <laughs> um, we're finally on good terms. So, uh, but I, I think the, the moisture wicking towels so that, in, you know, he's a big proponent of the environment, you know, him and his wife, uh, Kelsey do a lot of, of environmental things. So I think that he would want to be able to reuse those in perpetuity, but at the same token, you can never have too many sweat towels in Texas on the sidelines when you're Gary Patterson or any of us really understood. I, I was going to say, honestly. Yeah. Uh, so the, you, you took it to a sweet note there, and I appreciate that because I, I kind of wanted to end this with a final question that I think is, as for me, is sweet. I, I remember right after he passed away, I actually um, met up with, with Spencer Hall, and he was in Houston, and, and we ended up talking a, a, a bit um, about a shared hero we had and a, and a person who has a, obviously a direct connection as big as anyone with the, with the university. Um, Dan Jenkins passing away this year led to a lot of reflection and a lot of just thoughts and great anecdotes that came out. Do you personally, I think, you know, if you've around TCU, you've seen him, of course. Do you personally have a, have a Dan Jenkins story? Cause I can't get enough of him. Yeah. I, you know, I never, sadly enough, because when he was kind of, when I moved back to Texas, he, he had, he was getting older and didn't get to interact with him. I'd interacted with him on Twitter once or twice. And, and just one of the most encouraging, genuine people um, just, just in the school history. But as a student, um, you know, 
who, who wrote for the school newspaper, who was a film and TV major, um, who, who spent a lot of time on the radio. While he wasn't necessarily a constant presence in on campus, his his aura kind of hung over everything that mm. we did. And and the thing that I really appreciated about who Dan Jenkins was is he was who he said he was. There was no pretense. Um, there was no falsities. There was no playing the game. Uh, Dan Jenkins was the person that he he presented himself out in every situation and uh, just just brought a, a respect to sports journalism, brought a care for the game. No matter what sport he was covering, he genuinely uh, reveled in the opportunity to do what he did. And I think that, um, you know, someone who works for, for a corporation that's been in the news uh, quite a bit for, for pay, um, I think that you have to really love what you do. And um, on the verge of Big 12 Media Days, on the start of another football season, um, having knowing that, like, I get to do this for fun, is it's pretty special and i think yeah. that that it's easy to get disillusioned in this industry even even if you're not doing it as your career um and i work with a lot of the, the tcu journalism students and, and i get to know a lot of the, the you know the college reporters throughout the league and and it's really really cool to see people who are passionate who genuinely care um about the teams that they're covering about the kids playing the game like i kept referring to them as kids i realized as i <laughs> was talking with you guys and i guess it's because i'm a high school teacher but um, at the end of the day, they are, they're kids and there's something really special about college athletics. It can be dirty and awful and horrible, but it can also be really, really cool to see these, these young people living their dreams and getting their opportunity to do something that maybe they're the first one in their family to go to college. You know, maybe they get a chance to play professional ball, you know, watching uh, Alex Young make his first start, you know, five years after in a, into a minor league career for the Diamondbacks, like seeing that type of thing, um, seeing Josh Watson hit a home run after going over his like first 15 at bats in the minors, uh, like those kind of things make you realize that, that they're all just living a dream. And, and this is a little bit of a dream for me to get to cover that. So I guess maybe that's that's my Dan Jenkins anecdote is taking from it. him the the love for what you do, no matter what you do. And uh, I win or lose, I would rather they win, <laughs> but win or lose, like I get to spend my Saturdays on the sideline taking pictures at TCU games. I get to travel to Indianapolis. I've been on the field at AT&T Stadium. Um, I've covered bowl games. I've gone to the NCAA tournament. Like it's pretty cool. And yeah. I get to do that. And it's for fun kind of. So uh, <laughs> that's, that, that's a little piece of uh, my, one of my favorite horned frogs that I carry with me every day. Love it. No, it was a dead solid, perfect answer. Could could. Ah, oh, I see what you did there. That was nice. I like it. I like it. <laughs> uh, so, Melissa, thank you so much for for carving out some time to do this, man. If people want to get more of what you have to offer, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I am at the Coach Melissa on Twitter, and of course, you can read, especially in the summer, a lot of my work at frogsaward.com. Uh, we have been doing some really, really fun stuff in the off season. We have super, super talented writers. Um, I, you know, just, just keep stuff up on the site, but we have kids that do it really, really well. So uh, there have been some fun pieces where we, we've poked a little loving fun at some of our Big 12 running mates, um, and we're doing some great statistical breakdowns as well. So be sure to, to hit up Frogs of War and, and read what, what the site, the cool stuff that we're doing. Awesome. Melissa, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure having you. I always love getting to talk to you guys, and I We'll look forward to doing it again, and uh, we're starting a new win streak against Texas this fall. So we'll see. We shall see. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you, guys. So coming off of that great interview, we're going to keep the greatness going, and we're going to down the forty again. A lot of honors 
coming. But before we jump into that, man, uh, Texas men's basketball announced this week that they'll take on the Georgetown Hoyas uh, to kick off the season at the Empire Classic in Madison Square Garden on the other side of that tournament. Duke and Cal will get an opportunity to play Texas defending its turf that it took just recently as part of the National Invitational Tournament Championship they won. That's right. I think the last time they were there, they left covered in confetti. I assume there was there confetti. Was. When I remember it, I, re- I remember confetti, at least in, in my memories for, you know, the, the, the epic play that was. But I just love that uh, this is a we, – we've had a couple of these these kickoff ones. I love that this is a uh, – I hope there's an academic portion of this as well because Cal, Duke, Texas, and Georgetown, you have some uh, you have some brainiacs as well as some, uh, some, some fantastic basketball schools. So the hope is Duke wins and Texas wins, and we get to play Duke the, uh, the second game of the season. So we'll see. Or maybe we both lose. I hope not. But, you know, uh, could be on a course to to play Duke very early as well. So uh, should be fun. So Texas track and fields Ashton Zam Zow, love that name, was named the Big 12 Female Athlete of the Year. Both a academic and athletic Big 12 um, performance for her career. So great. Uh, great to see the, the Longhorns continuing to bring in. Uh, is there hardware for Athlete of the Year? I'm not sure. But proverbial hardware, if anything. I think so. I, I mean, you, we can ask the, the many Longhorns, both men and women who've won it, Kat Osterman, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. Uh, two weeks in a row, I get to shout her out. But yeah, the uh, the the NCAA heptap, heptathlon champion, um, Zamzow, was, was uh, just fantastic for her whole career. Um, I believe her dad was an ardent either OU or A&M uh, fan and had to uh, had to wear the hat as he celebrated her coming over and hugging after she won the NCAA championship. Uh, you could see how very little it meant in that moment because, hey, man, where you went to school is 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 one of your defining and most important features. But uh, being proud of, of your lineage, there's nothing uh, more pure than that. It was a really cool picture. We'll uh, you, you go Google that. But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited for her. She's a well deserved honoree yeah it was a, it's a big deal and again the 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 height well to come back to this the height and the hype that surrounds the texas longhorn athletics is unmatched so the uh university announced today its latest inductees into the hall of honor so a lot of players and names you'll recognize uh so for football, you've got Brian Arakpo, Derek Johnson, Bryant Westbrook, and uh, Reagan Janusa have all been inducted. Uh, for track and field, Marsha Vett Hooker, who she gets unfortunately overshadowed by the uh, her sister Destiny, who was a two-sports star, but Marsha Vett was a monster in her day. Uh, Brian Robison for shot put, again, because he was a champion there. Uh, and Lakeisha Backus, baseball Seth Johnson, Andre Robertson, tennis, Sandy's uh, Sarifong, swimming, Patty Sabo, uh, women's basketball, Danielle Viglione, and golf, Nancy Hager. A lot of ladies making the cut for the uh, yeah. for this the uh, the honor this year for the Hall of Honor. Man, that's it's always and maybe it's just because now I'm facing my own age and mortality. Like there are way too many names that I recognize on that list. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, depending on the age of, of our, our average listener, we do have a wide range. Some of these, uh, back from Bryant Westbrook, who I think one of the all-time underrated Longhorns, if you had to do a list of, of names that have just somehow fallen off, he doesn't get the historical uh, clout he probably should. Just a, a fantastic player in the 90s. Um, Marsha Vett, of course, Hooker. I, I think Destiny will probably be in here in a couple years if she's not already, uh, just as one of the you know great uh, women's volleyball players of all time, truly. But Marsha Vett herself, a, a, an Olympian, a, um, a track 
uh, Wunderkind, um, all the way from high school, uh, was on the national stage of setting uh, setting records, and and uh, the whole Hooker family uh, out of San Antonio played Southwestern a few times, uh, home of Cesar Serrano as well. But uh, yeah, just a, a list of of some legends across this name. Um, you know, I, I all very very deserving. But you're right; it does it does remind you the you're aging out because some of these folks have retired from their full professional careers and, and joined the hall of honor. And that means we're, we're not young, Gerald. Definitely not young. And we're not getting any younger. And now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha, And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Rui. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I'm excited to, to, uh, to bang the drum on something not not sports related, but something that just is a feel good. We always talk about the student uh, athlete component that we we ultimately are covering student athletes, um, and and I love that you know I get to share something about the students. Hopefully everyone saw that this week, um, but UT announced um, that they are going to be offering free that's F R E E no strings attached tuition. Uh, for uh, families earning uh, up to $65,000. Um, they, they, the support will actually extend all the way up to $125,000 household income, um, which is fantastic um, as, as someone who came from a working-class family and was uh, – my brother went on a football scholarship to college but was a first-generation college student um, in, in my own right um, and, and paid for school. Um, you know how, how fantastic it is to give uh, a full chance to everyone and literally just let the most qualified um, brightest and best uh, get there. I think we're down to like 6%, top 6% get into UT um, and, and it might be shrinking. Um, it's tough. It's tough to get into that school. You have to be bright. You have to be smart. You have to do extracurriculars. You have to do all the things and it continues to be that the best and the brightest um, come to Texas and, and leave bestier and brighter. I You can see I use my education but uh no just um it, it continues to be uh with its warts and with its problems um and with things that could always be better it's great to see um the ut system kind of taking these steps uh to provide you know truly the, the best education in the state of texas and one of the best uh degrees in in the world and continue to um help every student have every chance to do that and to excel so i was just thrilled by the good news and by the warm and fuzzies that we got to uh got to this week so a, a resounding hook em. great job and especially the uh, the board and, and president fenves who you know we're doing a great job and and as somebody who um really found their purpose at the university of texas and really figured out uh what life was going to be and what life was going to be like i'm so excited to see other people uh who maybe were academically qualified but but for Something as silly as financial reasons, unable to to live that dream. It really was um, a cool opportunity. It's it's so cool to get to see people uh, have that opportunity given to them, and and um, deservedly so. So my bang the drum is is much less altruistic and much less classy probably uh, than Kyle. So ESPN uh, released this week a article about, or I guess it was about a week ago now, uh, an article about the, the history of the resurgence of Horns Down. It became a big thing this last year after Will Greer celebrated mid-play, which is actually the penalty, not the Horns Down, but the mid-play celebration in the field is, is the penalty, but that's either here nor there. So they did this kind of oral history situation of the horns down and something in there jumped out at me and jumped out to a lot of people. Um, Harvard did some research 
And in their research, they found that 11 different schools slash fan bases believe that the University of Texas is their main rival. 11. That means that there's a year that all but one uh, calendar game, regular season game, could be potentially a rivalry game for somebody else, but not for the University of Texas, which for (laughs) me is just... uh, Like, I want to drink that slowly on a Saturday afternoon on my back porch, like a cup of coffee as the sun rises over the horizon and the birds chirp. Like, that to me is a freaking badge of honor. Like, like people get all salty about the horns down. People get all butthurt about the Kansas beat Texas memes. Texas is in the class where they get irrationally hated like the Lakers, like the Yankees, like the Golden State Warriors have been for the last several years. Like, that's the class. Those are the teammates, the the contemporaries at the University of Texas has. The fact that 11 other universities hate us more than they love themselves is speaking (laughs) to me. The fact that Oklahomans, people that I consider neighbors, give money to the University of Texas just to turn decals upside down. I want to sip that slowly. I want to take the cork out, decant it very slowly, and enjoy the tannins of that as it happens. It's a beautiful thing. So I'm, I'm just banging the drum this week on being the Joneses because Texas continues mm. to be and will forever be the college football Joneses. Mm. Inject it straight into my vo- my veins. I'm so glad we got to switch pettiness trains this week. Usually, I feel like the past couple weeks it's been me. I'm I'm not going to try to add or top that, but I'll just say I'm in 100% concurrence with you. I love it. Uh, I remember Arkansas when the coaches throw the horns down. I mean, it's it's uh, it's Missouri when they talk all week. You know, it's it's playing Texas is the biggest thing that a team can do. It's the part on their calendar, you know, on their season calendar. They're circling and highlighting, and you know, we in our Ivory towers just don't even don't even look down to notice the uh, the peasants down below I, I jest of course but uh yeah it's it's it i take it the same way gerald it is a badge of honor and on that beautiful note that's all we've got for you this week kyle if people want to get more of your pettiness where can they find you on the internet you can follow me at Kyle Carpenter uh, on on the Twitter, please please give me all your takes uh, and any 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 news stories you get of people throwing the horns down. Send them either to to the show or send them directly to me because that's that that is my joy makes my heart sing. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at gh goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Kyle and I reserve most of our trolliness for the actual show account. So most of the trolley stuff you see there is Kyle and I bored on a on a lunch break at work. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook 'em. Hook 'em. Hook 'em.